Don't you have some kind of a line that you keep open for emergencies or for celebrities? I'm both. I'm a celebrity in an emergency. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a weekend. Happy to be here. Happy you have joined us. And we're happy, of course, to be working with Nathan Tallguy. Nathan at the board. How are you today, sir? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And I don't know if it's maybe spring or just that time of year again, but it seems like every day I'm just counting down to time to something new. Well, that's good. I'm glad. It's just, you're like the eternal optimist, you know, and always surprising us with these little sound effects. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Thankfully, good it's not something working. else that's ticking down. Yeah, that's right. right. Good to be working with you as always, Nathan. This is a real treat for us, not just because it's Oscar season, the award season, as they say, but uh, we skipped a year. We were remiss and uh, too late in our scheduling to enjoy a visit in 2020 with Scott Mance, who is a premier film critic, a wonderful gentleman. He is erudite, but he doesn't rub your nose in it. That's what I like about Scott. It isn't just a persona when he is being friendly. He's a friendly man. And I'm delighted that somewhere in the family tree, we've got some apples that mingled somewhere. And um, even, even to the point of Philadelphia, because uh, Scott Mance's roots go back to Philadelphia. He was born there. And my family roots go back originally to Philadelphia. And after that uh, first generation arrived there, they migrated, you might say, to Pittsburgh, because that's where related work was found. And they were Pennsylvanians to the core. Until the research is done, however... We know of no relation. No, that's right. But, you know, I don't mind trading on his name. <laughs> that certainly works for me. <laughs> but uh, let me go ahead and do the mad props here. and We'll jump into a conversation with Scott because this is why we are here. Scott Mance, he's a young and born 1968. He was born during quite the year and we're having another year now. Is an American film critic, writer, producer and event moderator. In 2014, Scott was the recipient of the Press Award honoring outstanding entertainment journalism from the ICG Publicist Guild. In 2018, he joined the board of directors at the San Diego International Film Festival, which he has also hosted or co-hosted with Jeffrey Lyons since 2015. This is Scott's seventh visit to Manson Mitchell since his first interview way back in 2012. So for the seventh time, great to have you with us, Scott Mance. Well, Manson Mitchell and Mance, we are together again. And I was wondering how far back we go uh, over these years. And I did miss our conversation last year during Oscar season, especially with the way Oscar season turned out with such a trailblazing movie to win the oscar for best picture so 2012 huh that was our first year and i've always enjoyed our conversations and life sure has changed quite a bit in those years since especially over this last year so it is great to be back with manson michel talking movies and talking oscar season and other things as well thanks for having me back what kind of a challenge has it been this year to watch movies, Scott? Because were you going to theaters when nobody else was? I mean, I thought a lot of theaters were just closed because of the pandemic. 
Well, that's a, a loaded question in terms of like how how this past year has has changed my business, uh, my profession, my career, my livelihood. And the answer to to how it affected all of those things is that it is it has changed everything. And uh, the you know when I moved on from my longtime regular job at Access Hollywood in 2018, you know I was making it as a as a freelance entertainment journalist, a freelance film critic. I was moderating a whole lot of industry events, conversations, and Q&As, especially during award season. And I was also, and still am actually contributing as a reviewer to the number one news program in Southern California, which is KTLA Morning News. Uh, they have me on every week, uh, sometimes more than that. But to answer your question, Suzanne, is that other than the movie Tenet, directed by Christopher Nolan. I haven't seen a movie in theaters since last March. March, I think March 8th was the last time I went to the movies. And that movie was the Pixar film Onward. And the only reason I went to see Tenet in theaters was because for one thing, it was in an IMAX theater and there were only nine other people in attendance. And it was a, it was a press screening, you know? So it was, it was not where I had to worry about there being too many people in the theater. And also I had to drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas to see the movie because it was not screening at all in Los Angeles because theaters were closed and Warner brothers, the studio behind it, they kept their screening rooms closed as well to follow the law in Southern California. So I looked at this opportunity, not just to go to the movies. I looked at it more as an adventure, just to get out of my home and hit the road and feel like a normal human being. And I drove my own car and I, again, there were only a few people in the theater and, and that was it. But, and the movie wasn't even worth it. I did not like Tenet, but I haven't been to a regular public commercial screening in more than a year. And I already had my first vaccine. I'm still waiting for the second. And then after I get the second vaccine, maybe two weeks later, I'll go back to the movies because it'll be, I, f- I feel like it'll, I'll, I'll be more comfortable to do so. But over this last year, you know, watching movies from home is something we've all done. And the streaming services have been a godsend. They've been a salvation for everybody stuck at home to binge on these great shows like The Crown and Queen's Gambit and to watch all of these movies that have been streaming on Netflix, Amazon and Hulu, and especially Disney Plus with all those Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and everything. And and also, you know, the on-demand films that we see. But, you know, the problem is, is that watching a movie at home, it's just not the same thing. Now, there are certain movies that you absolutely can watch at home, uh, movies like, uh, let's say, uh, Nomadland or, or Palm Springs or Trial of the Chicago 7. You know, these are all movies that have been, been on the streaming channels. But with a movie like News of the World, the Tom Hanks movie that opened in some theaters around the country on Christmas Day, but not in L.A. or New York, when I was watching that movie at home, all I could think about was this is the kind of movie that I really wish I could see on a big screen. Like I love the film. I thought it was a great movie. 
Paul Greengrass, the director of United 93 and a couple of the Jason Bourne movies. It was a terrific film. But watching it at home, even on a big screen TV, I just felt like I was missing the experience. And that was a film that really suffered, unfortunately, from not being able to see it on the big screen. And also, I have to say, Suzanne, that watching these these uh, movies at home, these advanced screenings that I get links to watch so I can review them when they when they drop, it's you're watching it and there's a my name is burned on the screen and it's distracting. It's just absolutely <laughs> not how I want to watch a movie at home and seeing my name in the middle of the screen and you're, you know, you get used to it and you stop thinking about it, but you know, I want to, I want to go back to the movies. And now that cases seem to be going down and vaccinations are going up and as long as things keep going in the right direction, and more and more people get vaccinated or, or they just go safely by wearing a mask, washing their hands, keeping their distance, then, then I think we'll be, we'll be back at it, you know? And I just hope that things continue to go in the right direction. Cause you know, we don't want to have another surge and God forbid things got to shut down again. That would be really, really bad. No, I agree. I agree. Well, as it is, I'm going to go ahead and throw this in. Here's something I never intended to bring up today. But now that we're on this subject, I'd love to get your perspective. Being a Californian, a man in the Hollywood culture, seeing the big picture, how's that recall going out there? It's nothing that I would support Gavin Newsom. I think he's doing his human best to deal with an overwhelming problem. Just ask any healthcare worker there. And yet there's some people that somehow feel their freedoms are too severely abridged for the governor to remain in office. Well, well, listen, just, just as a, you know, I, I certainly can't, uh, uh, you know, be an, an authority on politics like I can on the movie business, but uh, you know, just, the experience of, of being a Californian now for almost 30 years and uh, certainly, uh, you know, the, the challenges that Newsom has faced over the last year. I mean, yeah, he definitely made a mistake by going to an event that was an inside event and, and it got picked up and people really pounced on him after that. And he shouldn't have done that. No question about it. But he's also been governor during a time when the uh, the, the man who used to be the president really had it in for California. The former president did not like California at all because California was a mostly mostly democratic state, very liberal. The president was not liberal at all. And he did not really support California at a time when California really needed it, not just with the infections, but with things like the, uh, the, the wildfires that have raged out of control. I mean, he was not, he did not come to the rescue of Newsom. And also the pandemic did spiral out of control in, in especially in Los Angeles County. It was, it was terrible. And then also you had the, the, uh, the protests stemming from the, uh, the, uh, the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so on and so on. And that, that racial divide, unfortunately, was fueled by Trump. So Newsom really had a lot, his hands full. I don't know how anybody else, whether it's Democrat or Republican, could really have done any better than Newsom, but they're really pouncing on him unfairly. I certainly am not going to vote for a recall, but there are people who will, and I hope it doesn't happen. Amen to that, brother. And that leads me to ask you this question. And now we're playing a little inside baseball because you are an expert in the area of being a Hollywood 
publicist. Now, we could extrapolate from that to the political realm, certainly to the business world. You're a professional and an award-winning publicist, and that is one of many reasons why I envy you. Um, you know, I try to put myself in the position, for example, of working for a political candidate, or if I think in terms of Hollywood, and I've asked Tippi Hedren about this, and she was on our show a couple of times, and I asked her during a break, there, you ever hang out with the unit publicists? I've always been curious about their world, and she said, oh, well, yeah, she said there are some of them who remain friends of mine over the years, you know, but I mean, they perform their function, but when I know them, I do have some friends who are publicists. And I bring this up because there cannot be too many situations where a publicist must be ready to hang himself or herself when, for example, Governor Newsom shows up at an indoor fancy dinner and he's not wearing a mask. Same happened with Nevada's governor, Governor Sisolak, did the same thing. You have Ted Cruz, for example. Well, what would you do when you have flooding and record snow and this terrible weather event? You go and join your daughters in Cancun. And I think if you're a publicist and you're in that world, I mean, aren't there times when you just say, it is so obvious that this is what you should not do. And you just made me hurt in my heart by doing this thing that now I have to do damage control for in order to save your career. Well, well, just to, to clarify, I'm not a publicist. I'm, a, I'm an entertainment journalist. I'm a film critic. I'm an event moderator. I'm a host and a correspondent and a producer and a writer. Uh, but I was honored by the group, the ICG Publicists Guild, because I work with publicists, whether they are personal publicists uh, who work for agencies and handle, handle the actors and the filmmakers and the directors, or the publicists at the studios who handle the films and handle the TV shows directly. But my, uh, my relationship with the publicity world is one that runs very, very deep and very, very long. I have established myself as a, as a trusted entertainment journalist, as a trusted professional in the business. So I've worked with everybody and have gotten to know everybody uh, really, really well, especially over the last, I'd say 20 or 22 years. And, you know, it is, it's a tough job. It is, uh, 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 you know, you, you, to, to be a publicist for, I would say somebody like, you know, um, Let's say uh, uh, somebody like Army Hammer, okay? So he has had a lot of problems lately. Uh, uh, no fault, uh, you know, due to his own fault, uh, uh, you know, he's he's been accused of of uh, rape and and you know he's a, a an actor. For, he was in the Social Network and uh, he has uh, a bunch of films that are coming out. He just had the movie Crisis, which dropped on demand, and the film. Uh, 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 Death on the Nile, you know, which is coming next year or 2022 from Disney. So good luck being his publicist. And uh, from what I understand, his his personal rep actually parted ways with him because of, of his problems. But then you have someone like Shia LaBeouf, who is a, an actor who's had his problems, had his troubles, seemed to be on a, on a road to rehabilita rehabilitation, uh, especially with films like Honey Boy and uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he then, then he comes out that he has had problems and, and you know, uh, sort of set him back with regards to uh, being abusive to 
former girlfriends. So the, you know, the answer to that question really is that it's, you know, you, you have to separate the art from the artist and, and, you know, a publicist for a personal, a, you know, a personal publicist like that really has to be, you know, uh, I would say, I, I don't know, it's hard to describe, like, they really have to do their job and, and take the personal out of it. Another example is Mel Gibson, you know, when he had his meltdown years ago, and he went on a, a tirade offending Jewish people, uh, you know, uh, his publicist is is Jewish, and and I believe his his parents or one of his parents is a Holocaust survivor, and his publicist did not part ways with Mel Gibson. His publicist did his job to to be his rep and and help him get through that time. So that is where a publicist really earns their keep, <laughs> you know. But also on the studio side. You know, with movies <clears throat> like uh, uh, like like well, with any movie really, over the last uh, over the last year, where where certain movies have gone to the streaming services, like uh, Soul, and uh, and and then you have movies that are that that the studios are really holding out to release in theaters, like Black Widow and Fast and Furious Nine, and then you have Warner Brothers. Which, which decided to release its movies in theaters on the same day that they were released on their streaming service, HBO Max. So, you know, publicity, you know, covers a lot of different things. And I think that, that the, the personal reps, the, the people who deal with the actors and the filmmakers directly in terms of the movie world are the ones that have a tougher job, especially when, when their clients have had some issues and, in most cases, they they stay loyal to their client, as in the case of of Shia LaBeouf and Mel Gibson, and in the case of Army Hammer, it sounds like they that person just had to uh, do some damage control of their own and just made their own decision to part ways. It's a publicity is really really tough, and again, you know, my relationship with the publicity world has been has been a great one, and I'm grateful to the the publicity world for for entrusting me with their, their, their clients. And it's, it's trust that I had to earn because I worked at a show where over the years, when I first started working for Access, I mean, it was an entertainment news show and I covered film and that was great. But over the years, there was more of a, it gravitated towards being forced to ask personal questions and inappropriate questions. And I never went there because, you know, I, I just care about the movie. I don't care about what you're wearing. I don't care when you're having a baby, you know, that kind of thing. But um, the, the, the fact that I stayed true and respectful, you know, I earned the trust of these publicists so that when I did move on, I was able to keep going with my careers, even over the last year when things became more difficult. You know, one of the things that I thought you said that was most uh, important there, Scott, was separating the person from the work. Gary and I have had this conversation repeatedly, and not just about um, uh, celebrities, but we've even had this about ministers that we've known. They can deliver a good message, but then when you see what's going on in their personal life, you, you think, 
you know, that's, that, that's not good. And, and so how, how can you listen to the message if the messenger who's delivering it is so flawed? Well, that's like across the board, but in the case of Hollywood celebrities, they are so in the public eye that, you know, they can't do anything without getting highly criticized for, you know, their position. They're, they're right up there either, you know, on TV every week or, or on the big screen. And so they're, they're definitely targets. Well, I got to tell you, you know, this whole conversation, I, I, I have to bring up one, one filmmaker who absolutely has been a challenge for people to separate the art from the artist. And that filmmaker, of course, is Oscar winner, Woody Allen. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, going back to yeah. the, to the nineties when he married his girlfriend's uh, uh, daughter, uh, you know, right. stepdaughter, I mean, Suni. So, so, you know, the, the HBO, documentary series uh, Alan versus Pharaoh I, I just watched watched that over the last month four-part documentary series in which Dylan Farrow accused Woody Allen of uh, sexual abuse when she was like seven years old and it was uh, it was a you know I I've always like liked his movies like Woody Allen's movies I wouldn't say that I was a diehard Woody Allen fan like some people that I know who are just absolute diehard Woody Allen fanatics. And, uh, you know, so, so my feeling is like, you know, I've seen most of his movies. I mean, he directed almost 50 of them. Uh, and he's also acted and produced and written so many others. So over the course of a career, I mean, to direct almost 50 movies, I mean, that's crazy. And of course he won uh, best picture and best director for 1977's uh, uh, Annie Hall, which, beat Star Wars for Best Picture, which is crazy. But, you know, he's directed a lot of films that I've really liked over the years. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Manhattan, um, a more recent years, uh, 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 Match Point and uh, Blue Jasmine. Um, and a lot of actors and actresses who've worked with Woody Allen have gone on to win Academy Awards, uh, like uh, Mira Sorvino and Kate Blanchett and so on. So you watch a documentary which paints a Look, it's a it's a very convincing argument against Woody Allen, and the only the only uh, uh, stand that Woody Allen is able to take on the uh, as a as a part of this documentary series is from the book that he wrote, his autobiography, last year, and the audio version of the book is where you hear Woody Allen's voice, but. While new interviews were conducted with Mia Farrow and obviously Dylan Farrow and uh, Ronan Farrow and other friends and family and, and even filmmakers and film critics who have had this crisis of conscience and how to deal like, my God, what do we do? Do I watch Woody Allen's movies? But it does not have a new interview with Woody Allen, nor does it have a new interview with Woody Allen's wife, Suni. Now, one thing that I discovered or realized about watching this is that Woody Allen and Mia Farrow were never married. They were, they never married. So like, I always felt like, oh, he married his stepdaughter, but it wasn't his stepdaughter. They were not married. It was his girlfriend's stepdaughter. Not that that makes it any, any less weird because it is still very, very weird and unusual, but 
watching this documentary, <clears throat> you know, I look at some of Woody Allen's past movies and the issues that come up in this documentary are issues that Woody Allen himself explored in movies that he wrote and directed and starred in, especially Manhattan, where his character is having an affair with a 17-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's putting it out there. And how do you watch these movies now without thinking of, of just everything that has been going on in Woody Allen's life, especially with these accusations? How do you separate the art from the artist in that case? That's really, really difficult. And that is something that, like, I, I mean, I'm certainly not going to go out of my way to watch any of his movies again, at least not anytime soon. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, yeah. for a long, long period of time, I was not able to watch one of Mel Gibson's movies because I am Jewish and I was obviously personally offended by his his tirade. And I couldn't go back and watch Braveheart. I couldn't go back and enjoy Lethal Weapon 2. But, you know, that happened in like 2004, you know, almost more, more than 15 years ago. And more recently, I actually did watch Lethal Weapon 2 and I and I really enjoyed it. But, you know, I didn't forget what he said. You know, I'm not going to seek out his movies. It was just kind of on and I watched it and I enjoyed it. But yeah. it is difficult ultimately, especially uh, with certain filmmakers. I, you know, I know I know one person who who posted on social media that, that he, he was, he, you know, he said, Oh, don't believe everything you hear. And, and with Woody Allen and he, and, you know, you still have yet to hear from his side of the story. And, you know, he is a, a massive, massive fan of Woody Allen. And I am, you know, I mean, I've, I've liked his movies, but you know, it, it's disappointing when you admire and like an artist yes. and their art when something like this happens. Or, or anyone. I mean, we're all fallible human beings, but there are people that we look to that we would like for them to be better than they are, to represent the best of humanity. And it's so disappointing when they don't. And and I know, Gary, there are certain people you just won't watch on a movie. You say, oh, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to watch her. Or I don't want to watch him. Okay, we're doing true confessions now. Here we go. I admire this particular man's genius. He's a magnificent actor and even better director, in my opinion. But I just, ah, ah, I cannot watch a Clint Eastwood film now. After that little star turn he did at the 2012 Republican convention up the road in Tampa from where I live, I watched that with the chair and I'm going, dude, I mean, come on, you know, Dirty Harry wouldn't soil himself with that kind of routine. What are you doing? And of course, he's a magnificent auteur. There's no question about it. And in my opinion, the same goes for Woody Allen. And, And for me, the jury's out about that. Man, I regret that it, his choices in certain ways. However, if I go back and I have a chance to watch Annie Hall or some of the earlier ones like Sleeper, uh, their uh, Love and Death, for example, I can't help it. I just love the guy. You know, that's just, it's like, yeah, I look at the world that way too a lot of times. Crazy, you know? So it, it's a tough thing. But here's a little ironic twist. When I get into a debate with someone about one of my all-time favorite movies, Signs, where Mel Gibson was in that movie and I thought did a wonderful job. Everybody did. It was, it, it, in its way, it's a beautiful movie. And so I, I never miss a chance to see it. And I talked to somebody about that. And you know what their complaint is? What's that? that? I, 
that I would watch an M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> Come on. Actually, uh, yeah, you know, okay, Signs came out in the summer of 2002. And Signs was the last sort of Hollywood movie that Mel Gibson made before he made The Passion of the Christ. So The Passion of the Christ made more than $630 million worldwide. And uh, it came out in, in February of 2004. And, and it was around that time that, uh, that Mel Gibson just got so much uh, attention for not just the movie and the way that he directed the film, but it was just so, so uh, overbearingly violent. Um, but also because of the, the, the meltdown that he had in Malibu when he was caught on, on audio saying all these, these terrible, terrible things. But it's funny you mentioned Signs, uh, Gary, because uh, in addition to Lethal Weapon 2, Science was another film that that I just happened to be around, and uh, you know my my uh, my girlfriend was watching that, and I just sat down and watched it with her, and and I enjoyed the film, and uh, and and you know what I've sat down if it was two thousand and six to watch it with her, probably not, um, but you know time I would say sort of uh, heals certain things. And while you can maybe forgive and you don't forget, or you just sort of accept it, and it's easier to separate the art from the artist, I think that's that's why I was able to enjoy the two films that I watched with Mel Gibson because it had been so long since that happened. And while it was on my mind, um, it certainly didn't ruin the experience like watching, uh, let's say, any of Woody Allen's movies would watch right now while it's so fresh. And speaking of Clint Eastwood, you know, I just recently uh, rewatched. Unforgiven, which is it's one of my favorite movies, and it's yes. uh, it yeah. won Best Picture for 1992, and uh, uh, it was uh, you know also won Best Director, and it is a movie that still holds up, and it's a it's a fantastic movie, but but you know I, I you know Clint Eastwood doesn't do a whole lot of press, and he does, you know but he is it sounds like he's a, you know very much a, a Republican, and but. You know, I, I, you know, with in Clint Eastwood's case, it was never. I, I didn't get the impression like it. It didn't. It didn't take me out of the experience of watching the movie. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a difference of opinion uh, versus him doing something that was so such a violation like sexual assault. You know what I mean? There's right. a there's a difference between between saying you know, oh yeah, you know, I'm more conservative than liberal than than being mm -hmm. accused of of sexual assault. That's that's you know, there's a a line that's crossed in the case of of uh, of uh, Woody Allen that that is a it gives me more reason to pause. Well said. I definitely see your point. We need to take a break. Yes, we, this is what happens when we get Scott Mance on the air. We just, I said in touting your appearance that we were going to get into some film buffery. And that's what we do. <laughs> One of the ultimate film buffs, Scott Mance, is with us. We need to talk more about the Oscars. There are some wonderful films. I'm sure they're all wonderful in their way. And a couple in particular are of interest to Suzanne Mitchell and myself. We would like to get into that with Scott on the other side of a short break. So stick with us. We are Mance and Mance and Mitchell today. And we will be right back here at the epicenter of Good Talk in Seattle, AM 1150. 
Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. No matter who we are or where we come from, we all experience difficulties in life. Military veterans know that sometimes it takes strength and determination to make it through. Whether it's obvious physical challenges or struggles on the inside, it takes strength to ask for help when you need it. I knew that I had to get support, not just for me, but for the sake of my wife and kids. Talking about it has helped me feel more like myself again. Honestly, it was hard to open up at first, but it's changed my life for the better. Learn how veterans like us have reached out for help and hear stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome Reverend Teresa Feeberts, who talks with us about themes of redemption, renewal, and reinvention on Good Friday, a day celebrated by much of the world. On Saturday, Carol Bromley, also known as the Easter Bromley, is passing out messages from her basket of goodies. Bringing you mastery and mystery, one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our special annual guest, almost annual guest, Scott Mance, movie reviewer. Scott, I know your website, at least I think I do, moviemance.com. If any of our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work and your life, is that the best place to go or is there another place? Well, uh, I would actually recommend because my my website is under uh, reconstruction. I'm uh, I'm having it uh, redone at the moment, but you can follow me on social media. I'm very active on social media and I respond and I engage uh, everyone on social media who who follows me on Twitter and Instagram. So hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at moviemance, all one word. And just like Gary's last name, it is M as in mother, A-N as in Nancy, T-Z as in zebra. So hit me up on Twitter at moviemance. Let me know what you think of this conversation. Let me know what your favorite movies are. 
Let me know what you think of the Beatles and let us know what you think of the Alalas. So uh, <laughs> uh, that is a little uh, sort of in joke to the music out cue from our last break. But I am very, very uh, active on social media, posting about movies all the time and also posting about my my two my two true loves, which are the Beatles and Star Trek. So hit me up on Twitter wow. and Instagram. And also I started uh, last year, if there's anything good that came out of being stuck at home during a lockdown and a pandemic is that I finally did what I've always wanted to do. And I started my own YouTube channel where I learned how to create and edit and produce my own content. So check out my YouTube channel, which is Scott Mance. So check it out on YouTube. It's Scott Mance, and I've been producing and, and hosting my own YouTube shows about movies on my YouTube channel. So do check that out, and please subscribe. I review movies. I have other shows that I do, and I think you'll like it. So check it out. Do you see all the movies that are nominated? And I don't mean every little short and animated and everything, but all of the majors. Do you make sure that you see everything annually? Absolutely. You uh, absolutely. Do. When it well, comes to the, yeah. the, the feature films uh, and the animated movies and the documentaries, I absolutely 100% see everything. Uh, the, the international features and the Oscar nominated shorts and, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, I, I'm not <laughs> as on the ball with those as I am with everything else, but I, I do make it a point to see as much as I can. And I do see everything. And certainly in the case of this past year and every year, I mean, really, since I've been working in the business, I do see all of the nominated movies because, you know, I have to make an informed opinion on right. what's going to get nominated, what's going to win. And you can only do that by seeing the films. Oh, listen to what he just said. Why, how much integrity this man has, because people might be sitting here listening to this interview and going, well, why would you ask a question like that? I mean, he's a film, of course he's going to watch, he votes, you know, and of course he's going to watch this movie, to which I reply with the title of one movie, 12 Years a Slave. Oh, well, 12 Years a Slave, that one best picture for 2013, and, uh, you know, the movie that I really loved that year that I was hoping would win was Gravity. Uh, but here's the thing about 12 Years a Slave, just to kind of take it to this year's uh, award season. So 12 Years a Slave was distributed by Fox Searchlight Pictures. Fox Searchlight Pictures recently got taken over by Disney, but they are still a standalone entity, and now they're just called Searchlight Pictures. They dropped the Fox. Still the same people running the studio, still the same smart people, I have to say, and still just the greatest team of publicists that I've ever worked with anywhere. They are so good. They are so smart and they are so, so amazing. So Searchlight Pictures won between 2008 and 2017. Searchlight Pictures won the Academy Award for Best Picture four times over a 10-year period. Wow. Okay? So 2008, Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. 2013 was 12 Years a Slave, 2014 was Birdman, and then 2017 was The Shape of Water. Now, with this year, with Nomadland, Nomadland is the front runner at this point to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. 
especially after just this past week, it won Best Picture at the Producers Guild Award. So if Nomadland wins the Academy Award for Best Picture, Searchlight Pictures will have the incredible track record of having won five Best Pictures over a 13-year period. No other studio won that many movies in such a short period of time in modern times. I mean, if, you know, of course, back in the early days, uh, you didn't have a whole lot of studios, so it was different. But these days, for, for a studio like Searchlight Pictures to, to be able to be so, so good. And, and here's the thing about Searchlight Pictures. So, you know, here you have so much upheaval in the business, and this is before the pandemic, when Disney bought 20th Century Fox. And, and look, I mean, to, to sort of see a big studio like 20th Century Fox kind of, kind of bow out after almost a century of making some of the greatest movies of all time, but the suits at Disney were smart in the sense that they, they kept Searchlight doing its own thing. They didn't, you know, they didn't uh, stick their nose in their business. They, they just let them do their thing. The, 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 Searchlight was not broken, so there was no reason to fix it. So even after all of that studio change, all that upheaval in the business, Searchlight is still at the top of their game. And during a pandemic, when so many more people were watching movies and there was a more of a sentiment that maybe this could be the year that a streaming service wins the Academy Award for Best Picture like Netflix, which really wants to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. You know, the last couple of years with movies like Roma and uh, The Irishman and Marriage Story uh, and The Two Popes, like they have been putting out quality content that is absolutely worthy of winning Best Picture. But, you know, for the last couple of years, it went to Green Book, which was Universal. And last year it went to Parasite, which was Neon. So, this past year, because so many people were watching movies from home, if there was ever like a time when maybe people, especially Academy of Voters, would be like, okay, and feel comfortable with giving the Oscar for Best Picture to a streaming service, this would have been the year to do it, especially when you have a film like Trial of the Chicago 7 or Mank, which are very much uh, 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 nominated films. Uh, Mank was a uh, nominated uh, for 10 Academy Awards, the most nominated movie of the year, and Trial of the Chicago 7, nominated for six Academy Awards. But as per usual, Searchlight steps up to the plate with Nomadland, which won the People's Choice, the top prize at the Toronto International Film Festival back in September. And even with this, this shift to watching movies at home, here, Searchlight Pictures is still the front runner to win the Oscar for Best Picture. And, and the smartest move of all, again, this just blows my mind how smart everyone is at Searchlight Pictures. So Nomadland, they were, they were saying it was going to come out in theaters in, in December, and then it was going to come out in theaters in February, February 19th. So I still thought like, well, you know, not a lot of people can go to the movies, especially in New York or L.A., where most Academy voters live. So what does Searchlight do? They decide to put Nomadland, the same day it opens in theaters, 
they decided to drop it on Hulu. So if you cannot make it to theaters, you can drop it on a streaming service and increase the visibility of this movie so more people could see it. And Academy voters who did not watch their DVD screener or they did not go to the movies or they did not watch a screening link, they can watch it now on Hulu. And what happens, it gets nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director for Chloe Zhao and Best Actress for Frances McDormand. And it is looking very, very, very likely, my friends, that Nomadland will win Best Picture and Best Director. Well, we have you on the wow. record that in probabilistic terms, and I can't wait to see it myself. That two movies, the two you mentioned, Nomadland and The Trial of Chicago 7. Suzanne has a particular connection to that that she could bring up momentarily. But I definitely want to see those two pictures, if no others. Now, I should mention, by way of just acknowledging this man's greatness, what about a movie like The Father? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The Father. Gary Mance. Let me tell you something. I saw The Father last year. Last year in in the January, January of 2020, I saw this movie at the Sundance Film Festival. So I, you know, this is before any lockdown, before anybody knew what a pandemic was, or certainly with the relations to the novel coronavirus. Um, so I was at the Sundance Film Festival last January, and I saw about 20 movies there. The last movie that I saw at the Sundance Film Festival was The Father. And what what a movie to end, end my experience at that film festival. I was completely floored by that movie. I When the movie first started screening and I was watching it, I thought, oh, this is Oscar bait, so to speak, for Anthony Hopkins. But the movie is, well, it is that, but it's so, so much more than that. Writer-director Florian Zeller adapted his own stage play and for this movie and... It is uh, such a such a, an engrossing depiction of a man's descent into dementia, and it's not done in a way that you would expect it to be because you're watching this film and your uh, uh, your your um, uh, experience mirrors that of the character played by Anthony Hopkins. Speaking of Anthony Hopkins, this is the performance of his career. This That's saying is, something. Wow. That, that is a bold statement, Gary, but it's the truth. Wow. This movie, The Father, is Anthony Hopkins' King Lear. It is his crowning achievement. And when that movie was over, I said, Anthony Hopkins is winning the Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, for, for Best Actor, I'm sorry, for Best Got Actor. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, he is so magnificent. And I've watched the film again a couple of times recently because uh, it, it is a movie that, that you kind of have to go back and watch again because of, because of the disoriented feeling you have watching it the first time. You do need to watch it again. And it's a more rewarding experience the second time. Now, in any other year, I would have told you that Anthony Hopkins will win the Academy Award for Best Actor. Absolutely no question about it. But then- over the course of 2020, we lost a great actor. We lost Chadwick Boseman, who died way, way too young and left behind an amazing legacy, but a very, very short one. And he finished off his career with the performance of his career, which is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, 
which started streaming on Netflix back in December. And it's an amazing performance. It's his uh, career topper, his his crowning achievement, the, the performance of his career. And what better way to honor Chadwick Boseman and honor his legacy than by rewarding him with an Academy Award after his passing for Best Actor to, to and, and it's also the, the last performance he ever gave. So I think that Chadwick Boseman is going to win and he certainly deserves to because even if he was still with us, I would say it's an amazing performance. But because of the sentiment now that we lost him, there is going to be more of a sentiment to reward him and honor his life and honor his legacy and honor his career. But regardless, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, it is it is a mind-blowing, incredible performance. And without spoiling anything, I have to say that the last scene of this movie was gut-wrenching. It was so emotional. I was so affected by this movie when it was over. And even watching it a second and even a third time, the last scene of this movie just really just hit me in the heart. Wow. Amazing movie, amazing performance. It is in theaters now and it drops. Actually, wait a minute. Today, it. oh, I'm sorry. It is now on demand. So for everyone listening, you can go to Amazon or you can go to iTunes or wherever you wherever you watch movies on demand and you can now for a premium price, watch The Father and it is absolutely worth it. Thank you, Scott. And um, I see that it's on demand and I definitely plan to see it even more so now after that review. That's incredible. Thank you. Suzanne, we have about five minutes. Let's talk about the trial of the Chicago 7. Sasha Baron Cohen, yay. Other than that, what do you have to say? What do you think about Sasha Baron Baron Cohen's chances of being the uh, supporting actor? I I would say that a supporting actor uh, for this one is going to go to Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, okay. He he I mean he won the uh, uh, Critics Choice recently. He won the the Golden Globe. Not that the Golden Globes mean a whole lot, <laughs> but uh, he he is a, an amazing actor, and he should he 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 should have probably won Best Actor. For his performance in Get Out, which came out in uh, 2017, uh, but yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen, who you know we don't see him make a whole lot of movies. Of course, he's completely crushed it with not one but two movies as Borat. Uh, but you know, he's also done his his uh, his TV projects, which which are definitely different and they're provocative, and and this is a, a really really terrific supporting turn for Sasha Baron Cohen in Trial of the Chicago 7, playing uh, uh, Abby Hoffman, the activist uh, who, who uh, have, was, was very much uh, front and center during, during the counterculture of the 60s. Um, uh, the movie, I like it a lot. I mean, I've, and I think that the movie is certainly relevant, not just because of covering the time period it takes place in the late 60s, but over the last year, movie has uh, maintained its uh, relevancy and resonates in a completely different way after Black Lives Matter, uh, which is, which is, uh, it, you know, makes the film even more powerful. But uh, it, it, it's, it's not an art, an art that doesn't have like an artistic poetic feel to it. I mean, Aaron Sorkin, who wrote the film, also directed the film, and Aaron Sorkin is an Emmy winner for The West Wing. He is an Oscar winner for writing 
the screenplay for the social network but right. uh, it, it's 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 a it's a rousing film it's a crowd pleaser it's informative the performances are great great writing but Suzanne what did you think I will want to see the film which I haven't yet because I was at one day of the trial I oh. uh, I um, went with some friends of mine from college and we decided that uh, history was in the making and we were going to be there. So we went and checked our purses and did everything we needed to do. And we sat in the courtroom and, and observed the whole thing for a day. Well, you got to see this movie. I, I, yeah, obviously I, I have to see it and it will either remind me of it or it's going to explain a lot. I didn't understand that. Was <laughs> including, the, including the events in Chicago when Suzanne, a high schooler at the time was warned by her mother, don't go downtown. There's going to be trouble. <laughs> and trouble there was during the year you were born. And I don't know about any cosmic influences there, but to be born into that world with all of those conditions and the trends is an extraordinary thing in itself. And I've said that to other friends of mine who were born in 1968. What a time to pick. Well, you know, on top of everything that was going on in 68, you know, you have the uh, assassinations of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. And then you had obviously Vietnam. You had the, the trial of the Chicago Seven. You had civil rights movements, the counterculture, but in a year that was just full of so much uh, disruption, 1968, what you had also in that year, and it was what ended the year, was the the Apollo 8 fly around of the moon and orbiting the moon on Christmas Eve and reading from the book of Genesis. Apollo 8 saved saved that, that year and also the day after I was born, I was born on November 21st. So November 22nd, the Beatles White Album came out. And, you know, after years of, of the Beatlemania and after Sgt. Pepper turned their music into art, you had the White Album, which was such a chaotic album and all over the place, much like the year in which it was released. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, uh, the Beatles and, and Apollo 8. So, uh, but yeah, 68 was a tumultuous year, but so was 2020. Big time. That's true. Scott Mance, I must make good on a promise I made. The last time you were with us, I said we were going to have a show about the Beatles and the documentaries related to the Beatles. There are a couple of new entries since last we spoke. I will frame a show around that. Please say you'll come back and we'll do the Beatles. Oh, I would give anything to talk with both of you about the Beatles. Name the time and the place and I'm there. Outstanding. You got it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you. Very much so. Great talking with you. Great to be back with you. And please continue to stay safe. Thank you. you Likewise. Too. All right. Stay tuned for Jupiter Rising. With Eileen Grimes. Everybody stay safe out there, just like Scott said. And make it a great weekend.